Margaret Preston with Power Over Parkinson's, and today we get to expand on our POP Profile series with a new chapter. Um, we have David Kemp with uh, Cure PSP, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about the organization um, and its mission, and we are just going to run through some good questions and get started now. So David, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Margaret. Thank you for having me this morning. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we do. It's our pleasure. And some of our listeners may know um, we've partnered in the past a couple of times. So this is just another extension of our, our relationship where we're excited to get started on this. We have, and we're happy to work with you. Very good. So tell us, David, tell uh, our listeners um, your position at Cure PSP and how long you've been with the organization. Sure, happy to. Well, this is not um, a typical career trajectory, I guess. I uh, was asked about five and a half years ago, uh, beginning of 2015, by a good friend of mine and classmate, Everett Cook, who's on our board of directors. Uh, his wife, uh, unfortunately, whom I knew very well, I knew when they were actually dating back in the day, uh, passed away from cortical basal degeneration, or CBD, which is a disease related to PSP, uh, at age 61. And she was a dynamic woman, Wall Street titan, two children, community activist, etc. And I saw her decline and, and how terrible it was. And, and Everett asked me to come on board to sort of revitalize the foundation to try to expand it and grow it. So it was kind of a, a second or third or fourth career for me. I had been in the past in primarily marketing, branding, public relations. So essentially a marketing guy yeah. at heart. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had sort of skin in the game, if you can put it that way, in terms of coming on board. It was really a mission, a mission as much as a, a job. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me um, a little bit, give me a quick synopsis of Cure PSP's mission. Tell folks um, what you all strive to do at Cure PSP. Well, absolutely, Margaret. So Cure PSP focuses on what we call prime of life neurodegeneration. And this is a spectrum of relatively rare diseases that unlike say Alzheimer's disease tend to strike younger, younger in life. Mm -hmm. uh, there are diseases like PSP, progressive supranuclear palsy, and, and several others that have related, uh, related symptomatically and related pathologically. Uh, our primary focus has been uh, historically uh, PSP and, and CBD, cortical basal degeneration, uh, an even rarer related diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, we have three areas of our practice. We call them care, consciousness, and cure. Just that I always have to have something that is, is, uh, is sticky, if you yeah, will. It is. Uh, care, we provide programs, advocacy, support for patients and families. These are diseases, as you know, that currently have no uh, cure and even no real effective treatment, but we do support uh, patients and uh, families and caregivers through various programs. Uh, consciousness is really creating awareness of these diseases, especially with doctors and uh, allied healthcare professionals. Uh, doctors, even neurologists, are not, because they're rare diseases, are not uh, familiar with them. And right. in fact, so diagnosis is very often incorrect. And in fact, Parkinson's disease is often the 
uh, initial diagnosis, yeah. and, and, and then historically, uh, people haven't been diagnosed often until close, close to death, quite frankly, and then autopsy, autopsy diagnosis is different in any, any event. And then cure is, is really funding research. And we do this through what we call venture grants. And these are grants of usually $100,000 to early career investigators. We see them as kind of seed funding for great new ideas. And if they're successful, they can go on and get maybe bigger money from the NIH or, uh, or other, other sources. Um, so that's our, that's our essential focus. And, um, uh, and we're uh, so broad, broad mission uh, focused around those three areas. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't see anything more important or such a driving force to know that folks aren't being diagnosed with PSP until close to death. That in and of itself is probably such a driving force to say we can do better um, and we can get these diagnoses earlier. Well, that's exactly right, Margaret. And, and we've certainly, I've seen even in the fairly short period of five years, I've seen improvement in that. And I've seen yeah. people, which interest, interestingly has sort of affected our, our donor base because people now come to us earlier because they get an earlier diagnosis. So right. we've right. been able to increase our donor base. Yeah, that. yeah well, kind of one feeds the other. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell yeah. us, as the president of Cure PSP, tell us what a typical day would, would look like. Um, of course, I should preface this maybe a, a pre-COVID question. So what would a typical day look like? Maybe without all the Zooms and the virtual calls, but what what's a typical day for the president of Cure PSP? Well, sure, Margaret, that's a great question. I, I always say my top three jobs are fundraising, fundraising, and fundraising. Okay. So <laughs> I spend uh, a whole lot of my time working with donors, especially uh, our higher end donors. We uh, keep them. I keep them apprised. Usually now by the old-fashioned telephone call because I can't go see them and have lunch with them anymore. Right. Right. What's going on in the foundation? Uh, they often will fund research, which we will name. For example, if they fund a hundred thousand dollar project, we'll name it in 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 honor or memory of their loved one, and so keep them apprised of that. Uh, I also spend a lot of time writing personal handwritten notes to anybody who's given $500 or more, which for us, $500 is, is a, a bigger, a bigger donation. Yeah. And I've written thousands and thousands of these notes mm-hmm. where I have, I think, uh, just uh, perennial uh, writer's crap at this point, but yeah. you know, it's a basic technique and it, it really, it really helps us. Uh, Beyond that, you know, I have a really good staff, really sharp staff. So I provide overall strategic direction, ideas for tactical ex- execution, mm-hmm. uh, feedback, but I let them kind of run, run with it. And I've tried to create within Cure PSP what I'd call a culture of experimentation, where I encourage people to try new things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you learn as much from your failures as you do from your successes. So there's, there's not that sort of fear factor that, you know, if you, if you fail, you're going to lose your job. I, mm-hmm. I, I want to have people try new things. And, yeah. and I think this has helped us as we, as we moved into this new uh, virtual, virtual in, environment. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, there's the usual business matters of uh, accounting and, and the audit and mm-hmm. managing investments, that sort of thing that I do get, I do get involved with. So that, that's kind of, it would be a, a, a mixed bag of, uh, of, of those things. 
Yeah, I can attest to your staff that you noted. They are phenomenal and they certainly are thinking outside the box and just in our interactions and time, trying to think how we can partner together. So you do have a wonderful um, risk take, healthy risk-taking staff. So I can attest to that. Yeah, um, you've kind of dovetailed into our next question. Um, I would certainly be remiss not to talk about COVID and the times right now. So I, I was hoping you can expand a little bit about how Cure PSP has um, really adapted to these times and entered this virtual world. And talk to me a little bit about how you've had to adjust during these times and remain resourceful and supportive and tackle those that acronym that you had had shared earlier. Well, absolutely, Margaret. This has obviously affected everybody. So back in March, uh, we went, I, I pulled the plug and we all went home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since then, we've been primarily working remotely at home. Uh, we do maintain office space in a co-working environment, but we've reduced that office footprint. We've been able to save money on office space because yeah. I think people will be working at home Mm-hmm. For some period of time, and and they're it's they're given that choice. There's no no requirement to come to the office or mm-hmm. expectation. So I I think certain jobs may remain remote for a long time. If yeah. if not forever, you know, it's sort yeah. of a different sure. a, a different way. So this is probably no different than most other organizations have had to adapt. Um, obviously, in terms of how we communicate to the outside world, that's completely changed. So for example, we had, uh, we have 70 to 80 volunteer support groups that have met in person with patients and families provide support. Uh, many of those have moved online and many of the support group leaders have, with our help have, uh, adopted zoom, gotten, mm-hmm. gotten very skilled at it, you know, mm-hmm. where they resisted it in the past. Now right. they're, of course, they're experts at it. Uh, So we're encouraging that we do uh, an online uh, virtual office hour with our patient and care partner advocacy team for volunteers where they can be updated on, on uh, where things are going. Mm -hmm. We do now national support groups. We have a men's group and a women's group, which has become very popular. Yeah. Um, We're, that people can share their, their views on a, on a national basis. So in a way the you know, the virtual platform gives us an opportunity where you don't have to be physically there, but you sure. can spread out. Yeah. We're continuing to do uh, volunteer fundraising events, uh, which have been big, uh, major, major sources of revenue, certainly significant sources in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did one called Sundays. That's the ice cream Sunday to okay. stop your PSP uh-huh. uh, virtually. Uh, we're doing something called Bonelli's Music Bash. So, okay. you know, a lot of them are not being done, but mm-hmm. a lot of them with our help have gone virtual. Right. Uh, one thing we're doing, I believe strongly in outside partnerships with experts, bringing in experts where we can. Mm-hmm. We're working uh, on, a, on a contract basis with a group called Wizard Studios in Brooklyn, and they specialize in doing virtual events. Okay. So, for example, we have three major virtual events coming up. One is our annual research symposium that attracts scientists from all over the globe. Mm-hmm. We also have our family conference, which in the past would have been in person, not mm-hmm. now. Right. And we also have our 30th anniversary celebration in December. Uh, Tony DeCopel from CBS News 
this morning is our MC, which okay. is really nice. Yeah. So uh, it's been, you know, kind of a brave new world here. But again, I'd like to seek outside help. And Wizard Wizard has been, among other things, working on the Biden campaign. And so they're, they're the real deal. So right. they've been very helpful in, in enabling, enabling us to uh, pivot to this new world. And I do, of course, a week, we have our weekly staff meeting on Zoom and keep everybody apprised of what's going on. And I think because we've been, been financially solid, you know, we haven't had to furlough anybody. People right. have, I think, had confidence they're going to keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. And so no, I think, you know, nobody's going anywhere now. So we have a good, you know, solid staff to work with, with consistency. That's wonderful. And you touched on something that um, certainly is the positive aspect of this in that while your your events aren't in person, you're able to reach exponentially more people because they are virtual. So your reach is probably a little bit larger. With so It's kind of the, the silver lining of this. So um, I appreciate that comment because it does, there is a, a benefit to some of these aspects. That's a good point, Margaret. It is a little bit un, un, unexpected consequence of suddenly having a national audience for mm-hmm. a support group, for sure. example. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. Um, well, tell me, folks with PD, folks with PSP, um, these prime of life diseases, tell me what your recommendations or what would be some just powerful tidbits you can give those folks who are at home right now, because it is hard um, having that neurodegenerative disease at home, um, hesitant to go out. So what would be your advice for these, this population, this community? Well, that's a good question. And, and it's a hard question because of course, uh, people with, with movement disorders, especially, you know, I think P- PD, you can probably stay more functional for a longer period of time than you can say with PSP, which is rapidly progressive right. leading to confinement to a wheelchair, um, inability to speak, mm-hmm. uh, eventually, you know, so it's a uh, average time from uh, onset to death is about seven years with PSP. Okay. But um, what we can encourage people to do is certainly uh, to stay active. You know, there, are, as you know, very well there, we admit there are no real there are no real uh, treatments, yeah. <laughs> incurable, and there are no real yeah. good treatments. You know, uh, one of the things you try is levodopa, which works on PD, but if, it, if it's not working, it's one indication it's probably yeah. PSP. So anyway, keeping active, really, really important. Uh, we actually are starting now a new program uh, through our channel, which we call Cure PSP TV, and it's- okay not Netflix yet, but it, it's, <laughs> which it's you're approaching that level. I it's know. A channel, <laughs> yes, we hope so. It's a, it's a channel offering content. Um, and we're starting something called wellness Wednesday. Yeah. And this was a, uh, an, an idea from, uh, Denise Ferrero, who's our uh, social media manager. And I said, sounds like a good idea. Let's run with it. So she's putting it together with programming so people can do what they can do, you know, which is getting up, you know, yoga, some things that there it's possible to do. So staying active to the extent you can is really one of the best things you can do. Staying engaged uh, with people, which again is obviously now has to be at a virtual level. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But um, interestingly, I think we've heard that people have found it easier to stay engaged in a way in this environment because you don't need to get somewhere physically. Uh, you can engage on Zoom and, and people maybe not friends, friends and associates are not confronted with sometimes disturbing symptoms of PSP and related diseases. You know, it can often be quite frankly, off-putting, you know, for others when they see these symptoms because they are so dramatic that it, it drives away, you know, your social networks tend to start to dissolve. And so it may be easier in some ways to keep, to keep uh, connected Mm -hmm. to virtual platforms. Mm -hmm. I think you touched on something so important that we at Power Over Parkinson's, I know you all are doing at Cure PSP, creating these events or these support groups for people like you. So you do sometimes lose the the uh, non-disease person because the symptoms are obvious, um, hard to manage via conversation. So creating these safe environments where, for instance, in our organization, we have the Parkinson's Activity League creating these movement days where people can get bold, go to the driving range, just with people like themselves is so important because you establish that community and there's no, there shouldn't be, but there's no embarrassment, no self-consciousness. You kind of eliminate that. And I know you all are, are striving to do that through the support groups, et cetera. So um, I just wanted to highlight what you noted. I think that's so important. Yes, from a social exactly. aspect. Socialization is still so imperative to all these things. That's right. Again, un, sort of unintended consequences we couldn't yeah. have predicted. But if you think about it, it is a, a, it perhaps makes outreach easier in, mm-hmm. in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for touching on that. Um, so now let's move away from COVID. I think mm-hmm. everyone uh, can appreciate that sentiment. So we'll move away from that. Um, tell me, we've all learned lessons from this wonderful community we all work in. Um, tell us what lessons you've learned when working with people with a, a prime of life disease. Sure. Well, I think, you know, lessons are, are somewhat sort of psychological, you know, the persistence or the power of hope mm-hmm. has been a big, big thing to me that, that, People, even though they know when they get the diagnosis, you know, they know it's incurable. I mean, yeah. and, 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 you know, doctors don't always have the best bedside manner. So right. Right. it can often be a fairly abrupt message that they get. Yeah, yeah. in, a, in a very impersonal exam room. So it's all, <laughs> there's so many aspects that aren't positive when you have that diagnosis. So you've got the disease, it's incurable, you know, next patient, please. Yes. Um, I hate to say it, but that's, we, we hear this all the time. So the persistence of hope, you know, people know that it's incurable, but they continue to, to fight, to fight it and to remain, remain active, you know, and, and talking to um, one gentleman, whose wife has been diagnosed and, and, you know, some of it, the symptoms can be uh, sort of, impulsive, you know, one of the symptoms is impulsive behavior. You know, you, you're not, you're, you you don't think before you do something and, you know, she's an equestrian and active. And he said, yeah, you know, she just insisted, I'm going to go out and and show you how I can get a horse on my horse trailer, you know, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, she fell and hurt herself. And and so, you know, but they're fighting, they're fighting against this, until the very end. And, and I've also been with people who are in the last stages, you know, confined to a wheelchair, can't speak. 
but they're still clearly aware of, you know, they get all their marbles. They're aware of what's going on around them. There's signal hand signals, you know, you know, they're connected and, and they're still smiling and laughing, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that is, but it's, yeah. uh, it, it's remarkable that level of persistence and hope and, mm-hmm. and fighting against something that they know is going to take them. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. We certainly see that in our community um, of folks with PD. So um, it is remarkable. um, And it's something that we can all learn from um, and apply in in the smaller aspects in our own lives. So thanks thanks for sharing that. Um, What's been the hardest part about working with folks and just basically working in this arena? Have there been barriers? Um, Is it I'm sure that at times it's emotionally draining. Um, Tell us kind of some of the, the challenges you face working in this arena. Um, with the prime of life diseases? Sure. Well, you know, on, on an emotional level, absolutely. I, I think it's hard on everybody because, you know, we get calls often the day of diagnosis, you know, or the day after diagnosis mm-hmm. where the next call that people make. And, yeah. and all our people are really uh, able and trained to essentially spend time with these people on the phone and, and talk them off the cliff. You know, you can't, give them any, you can't say, well, you know, you take, take this drug or do this or do that. I mean, nothing you can tell them really that they don't know, but you try to talk them off the cliff. You make them acquainted with our services. You keep in touch. So we, I think we're a little different than sort of a bigger organization where, you know, people call us and they get somebody who can really talk with them empathetically and I encourage people, if you're going to talk to them for an hour, fine, you know, it's an hour. Well, it's an hour well spent. So you're yeah. not a receptionist or you're not getting somebody who, you know, who can't really help you because we are, we are small. So I think constantly hearing those stories is probably hard on, on everybody, you know, and, and I stay, I stay close to donors. You know, I've made friends and, and acquaintances, um, I only use my cell phone. That's when I, so I'm available, you know, essentially 24 seven. And, you know, I, I, I had one, one donor, one husband, you know, call me the night his wife died. You know, he, he wanted, like, I was the first call yeah. he made, let, let me know his wife died, you know, and things like that are, I think, emotionally, emotionally become very hard. I think of the, you know, the news anchor in the morning news is, has to continually report bad news. You know, how, how does that affect you? Right. I think, you know, on a practical level, um, on a practical level, fundraising for a, essentially a rare disease is uh, difficult, challenging. Sure. You know, we say 20,000 PSP patients, maybe 3,000 CBD patients. So, you, so you're dealing with a smaller donor population, which restricts the amount of money you can raise one of our challenges is to try to expand and into uh, some of the related diseases and expand our donor base. Mm-hmm. And that being said, we're doing well financially. We've got good reserves, so we're in good shape, but yeah. as a, as a practical matter, you know, if you're Alzheimer's disease with 6 million patients in the U S then you have a much broader yeah. population to raise money from. Yeah. It draws the, the donor pool becomes larger. Sure. Right. Um, I wanted to touch on the emotional piece that you highlighted. Um, it, it almost sounds like your PSP is the go-to outlet, which 
like you said, could be draining, but it's also the positive in all this and that folks are calling you upon diagnosis, upon maybe someone has passed away, but at least you all have provided that um, indispensable outlet for folks in, in this world. So um, that's something that struck me that you said, and I think it's it's a good takeaway for our listeners. Yes, I think that's absolutely, absolutely correct, Margaret, through both staff and our network of active board members and volunteers who provide this uh, support. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, tell me, where do you, where would you like to seek your PSP go in the next few years? What, where do, where do you like, where do you see it going? Um, what are some pie in the sky ideas? Um, where would you like to see it go in the next couple of years? Sure. Well, that's, that's a great question and something we're always grappling with. I think our, our, certainly our, our, mission is going to stay consistent, this notion of care, consciousness, cure. We're not going to move away from any one of those. So on a practical level, as, as I mentioned, ex- expanding our donor base mm-hmm. is, is certainly something we'd like to do because the more money we have, the more, more good we can do. Yes. yes. There are some practical things that we are <clears throat> in the midst of engaging with. One of them is our centers of care program where we um, I guess it's almost like a, you know, triple A four diamond award to a hotel. You know, we, yeah. we evaluate facilities and their ability to care for these patients. And then we designate them as centers of care. Mm-hmm. So we're expanding in the process of expanding from about 25 to 40 of these. So we see those as being kind of linchpins of, of, an, of, of awareness and care where people know that they can go to get the state of the state of the art care for the, the condition. That's mm-hmm. certainly one of them. Another area that we're doing is expanding globally through <clears throat> something called Promotus, which is a network that's been created along with PSPA, which is our counterpart in the UK. And really okay. the only other, the only other uh, sort of professionally staffed organization in PSP in the world, but it's an organization of uh, largely volunteer groups in various countries. So we're working to uh, translate our key materials into different languages. We've already done Spanish. We're working on Portuguese, uh, French, Hindi, Arabic. So we feel an opportunity while I don't know that this, you know, this will expand a donor base. At least it will help us to reach out. Mm-hmm. You can presume the incidence, you know, is, is similar mm-hmm. in India and China as it is in the, in the U S. So certainly that global, global extension would be uh, important. We want to expand our, uh, we call it the Sherry Levy and quality of life fund in memory of a, a woman who passed uh, where we provide direct grants for in-home care, professional in-home care. So people require 24-7 care, often has to be provided by family members because people don't have the resources to hire on their own this care. So we we provide grants, we pay the caregiving uh, companies, professionals directly for the care provided. So that's an almost infinite, uh, we could almost expand that infinitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how much money, you know, it's like the, the need is, the, the need is endless, put it that right, way. Right, right. Uh, so, fantastic. Uh, you know, those are, those are, are some of the things that we're trying to do and, and certainly expanding our venture grants program, giving more grants, um, 
our applications for grants have extended, expanded. And so we'd like to give more of those. So again, it kind of all depends as with any, as with any organization on, on resources. We're, we're in good shape now and can do a lot. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a good mix of what you see in the next few years will be a good mix of helping folks today in the here and now, um, which we certainly value at POP, but also looking to the future and what are some things you can, you can do in the future. So um, that kind of dovetails into the, the next question I had regarding research and looking into the future. I know one of your prongs is certainly, you know, one of those arms is research and you guys have funded an array of research efforts since you found you've been founded in 1990. But talk to me a little bit about what you think is the most exciting. There's an array of research being done, but what do you think is the most exciting part um, uh, uh, the research that's happening in the prime of life uh, disease arena? So tell me about what you think is the most exciting thing. And, and with that excitement provides that hope that people kind of hold on to. So talk to me a little bit about the research. Sure. Well, Margaret, that's a great question. And first of all, I offer the caveat that I'm not a scientist. <laughs> well, you sound that. like one, so I wouldn't well, <laughs> communicate that you're not. <laughs> I'm not a PhD, nor, right. nor am I an, an MD. But yeah. uh, in, from, my, from my perspective, in, in even the fairly short period of five years, there's been a lot more interest in research, into PSP in particular, uh, because the science is showing that it's actually a, a gateway disease to solving uh, big, big problems like Alzheimer's disease and, and PD as well, which both, of course, affect a lot more people. But for various scientific reasons, uh, the, the tau protein is a key factor in all these diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, research, uh, PSP has become kind of a gateway disease for research. So I think when I started, I felt, well, it was kind of a rare disease career dead end for a talented scientist. You know, mm -hmm. they, go, they, they wanted, you know, some, something bigger like curing cancer or heart disease. So, mm -hmm. but now that's changed. And, and so what that's meant is we get a lot more applications for funding. We get a lot of talent, research talent put against it. And, and maybe most important is pharma companies are broadly uh, interested in clinical trials. Now, a lot of these, of course, have been sidelined because of COVID, but you know, they will continue into in, bringing drugs to market. And, you know, they're publicly held companies. They don't see an opportunity in 20,000 PSP patients, but if they find the Alzheimer's drug, then right. you know, they've, they've hit a home run. So I think there's connected trends of, of both basic research interest and drug development are the things I see mm -hmm. most notable in this area. And, uh, you know, there's some 7,000 rare diseases and most of them don't get much attention. So I think we've been fortunate in that respect. Yeah. Well said. Um, and I have one final question uh, for you before we wrap it up. Tell me a little bit about what you think would be the most important takeaway um, that folks who are listening can take away and can, can move on from um, knowing a little bit more about Cure PSP. What would be one thing that you'd like them to really take away from this? Well, topic? sure. This, it, it's, a great, it's a great question and, and sort of a, always hard when you have to boil it down to that, uh, that thought, but That's I think for, nuts and bolts, right? <laughs> and it's hard, I for us, it's now for us, I think it's, it's that we provide advocacy care and most important hope 
for people with these prime of life neurodegenerative diseases. Mm -hmm. I think that element of hope is, is persistent. You know, we, we don't have the cure, but um, we're working on it and mm -hmm. with more attention, it will happen. So to me, that's what I'd, I'd like people to think of cure PSP is kind of a port in the storm a place they can go yeah. for some support, some advocacy, and at least provide, provide hope that we will find a solution and we can go out of business or, uh, or yeah. move on to some other problem. <laughs> yeah. Port in the storm. I like that. That's a fantastic yeah. quote. And I hope folks can take that away. So tell them where they can find more about cure PSP. Sure. Well, the best way is to go to what I think is our terrific website, uh, curepsp.org. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really going to be your font of information. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, certainly, certainly donate there if you would like to. But uh, beyond that, it's just a rich source of, of support. So I would go right there first okay. uh, for any, any information on us. And, uh, and also, I'm happy to, um, to take calls, as I always tell people, give me a call, best way to reach me, 802-734-1185, yeah. uh, give me a call. So the president of Cure PSP has just provided his number. So I think if nothing else, that's a fantastic takeaway and a good way to end it. Uh, David, thank you so much for being the next chapter of our Pop Profile series. And we're excited to get this out to folks. Thank you very much, Margaret, for the thank opportunity. You. Okay. Oh.